Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Funky Brain Podcast. My name is Dennis, and this is my Funky Brain. And our guest today is really awesome. We're going to have a great talk today. She's a very accomplished and inspiring woman, a screenwriter, film producer, a voice actress as Jill Valentine in the Resident Evil remake. But she uses her like little celebrity status as an advocate for marijuana policy, homelessness prevention, addiction, substance abuse prevention, and recovery. And she's the co-author of the young adult cautionary novella, A Night in Jail, a story about drugs and mental illness, which I'll let her tell you about here shortly. But today she's also a keynote speaker sharing her messages about the damaging effects of marijuana, especially in youth. Mrs. Heidi Swan, how are you doing today, Heidi? I'm great, Dennis, and it's so fun to be here. I'm, thank you for having me on this awesome podcast. I know, this is a great conversation. So the Funky Brain Podcast has our viewers know here, it's a show mostly about addiction recovery and this fits in really nicely because marijuana, you know, we usually talk about like cocaine or alcohol or just a wild crazy life or some kind of life mastery thing. But marijuana is, it's glamorized in today's world. And Heidi has a powerful story about her brother was negatively affected, which led him to jail um, and some permanent uh, mental illness and brain damage. So can you share with us a little bit about that story and how it led to what you do today? Absolutely. So where my brother and I were raised in the Pacific Northwest, it was really common for young teenagers to smoke pot. And so we both did it. And one time when I was a teenager and I was in the laundry room of our family home and I was with my best friend, we were getting high. and all of a sudden, I couldn't remember where I was. And I couldn't remember who my friend was. Then I'd remember, and then I'd forget. And it just, this in and out of me knowing where I was and who I was with was really frightening to me. And we, I didn't think anything of it, and neither did she. And it wasn't until uh, several years ago that I discovered there's a name for what I went through, and it's called cannabis-induced psychosis. That's where you lose touch with reality because of your intake of THC, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. Because of experiences like that, I really didn't use marijuana very much. I did, it just never was a, a pleasant thing for me. My brother, on the other hand, he really liked how it made him feel. And he liked that it felt like he was in a fun house. And so he did it pretty much every day for a decade, starting in his early teens. And he got through high school and he went into college and he went into graduate school all while he was high. And so when he got out of graduate school, he was a little bored with marijuana at that time, and he was introduced to cocaine. And a month later, he was addicted to it. And then he found crack. And shortly after that, he was homeless with schizophrenia, and he went to jail 18 times. We came from a good home, Dennis. We came from a loving home a well-educated home. This kind of thing, what happened to my brother should not have happened. 
we, you know, we gave him an intervention while he was full on homeless, homeless. I mean, with long, dirty hair, he smelled so bad, the dirt on his face, his teeth were falling out, his, his nails looked like claws. I mean, he was, he was of the streets, you know what I mean? And we managed to get him in a room with an interventionist and the whole family, I flew up from California and he was like shocked that we were all there. And we begged and pleaded with him and cried and read our letters to him and said, please go into treatment, please, please. And after five hours, he, he said no. And he walked out into the rain of Seattle. I mean, and so what do we do then? What, what can a family do? There, there was really nothing. And so what happened after is a, a much longer and more detailed story. And it's actually on our website, uh, anightinjail.com, if you want to hear the details of how we got him off the streets. Because the good news is eventually he did get off the streets and he did get treatment and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Now, we didn't know when we gave him the intervention, we just thought he was this raging drug addict. We had no idea that he had a serious mental illness, none. And so when he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, we were all just shocked. So, um, so a couple years later, he was living with our mom. And it was at that time that I began to see studies that showed a relationship between teen marijuana use and adult schizophrenia. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe what I was reading. And it said that about 10% of the population is predisposed to psychosis. Now, most of us don't know it, um, but marijuana can pull the trigger for a psychotic episode and with regular use, it can pull the trigger for schizophrenia. I was like, what? hold on a minute, 10% of the population is vulnerable to this? Why, why doesn't everybody know this? You know, you think about how many people are, what's the percentage of people who are allergic to peanuts? It's like 3%. And, and here we all are, we know every single thing that has a peanut in it. It is everywhere. But nobody's talking about this risk to marijuana. And mental illness and mental illness is huge and they're telling us oh we've got to really change our perception of mental illness but nobody's telling us that something we use can trigger it it that's that's criminal as far as i'm concerned and there are lots and lots of studies some people say oh you're just blah 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 and i'm like no <laughs> just take a look go on to pubmed which is a free uh, site where you can look up all the studies and do marijuana mental illness, marijuana schizophrenia, marijuana psychosis, the whole thing, and it'll all come up for you. So we're not going to spend our time talking about the studies now because I'm not a scientist. I'm an artist. I'm a writer. And I'm someone who experienced it myself. And that's why I'm pretty darn sure that my brother and I have a predisposition to psychosis. And I'm pretty darn sure that um, it was marijuana. Well, it was definitely marijuana that triggered my psychotic episode. And so I think that because of that, it, his use of it is what triggered his long-term schizophrenia. That's a disability. And so he is on social security disability. 
and um, I don't want to get too off track here, but this is something to really think about. You know, when we talk about how other people's drug use really doesn't matter, in this situation, it really does because he acquired his schizophrenia when he was in his 20s and he's 60 now. And so these would have been the years that he should have paid into social security. Instead, he's been a drain on our taxes, going to jail, going to um, uh, treatments that he never paid for, we, ne we didn't pay for. It was you know the jails, the paying for him to do that. And then once he got diagnosed with a mental illness, we're paying for him to live. And so this is something where you do have to say, you know, with the drain on our social security, how many people do we want with a serious mental illness, you know, that we're paying for now? And could any of this have been avoided? So that's a different um, path entirely. So anyway, I told my brother about the studies and he was as shocked as I was. And he said that if he knew when he was a teenager that marijuana would make him go crazy or could maybe make him go crazy, he never would have tried it. And that's our message. We want teenagers to know what we wish we knew when we were their age. Because everybody's got this perspective that it's safe, it's healthy, it's natural. Well, you know, uh, poison ivy is natural too, and we don't smoke it. Um, but everybody seems to think that this is a drug that has no side effects. And as you saw in the webinar that I did just a couple weeks ago, Dennis, um, the doctor said, there is no drug that has all of these effects on a person and doesn't have side effects. You don't get a free lunch anywhere. So um, we just want everyone to know what the potential side effects can be. It doesn't happen to everyone. Some people really don't like the drug and some people it has really damaging effects on. And I wanna be sure everyone knows what those damaging effects are so that they can make an educated choice for themselves or recognize the early signs. So, um, and for instance, and I'm going to say this be because I'm afraid I'm going to forget to say it. Um, so you've heard of people getting uh, paranoid while they're on pot, right? Yeah. That's a common side effect, right? Mm -hmm. So paranoia is um, a mild form of psychosis. A lot of people don't know that. So if someone has an, an episode of paranoia while they're high, that's an indication they should stay away. Don't ever do it again. And don't just say, oh, I had too much or whatever. Because if a person continues to use it, they can go and have a full psychotic break. And then from there, they can go on to schizophrenia, um, which is uh, a permanent disability. So this is really important. This should be, again, common knowledge. And I'm just, uh, I'm so appalled that it's not. So um, so when, he's, when he said that he was, you know, said he never would have tried it. I asked him if he would be interested in writing a book together to warn teenagers. And he said, yes. And so together we wrote A Night in Jail. And it's a fictional story and it illustrates cannabis-induced psychosis. It is the first and only book, film, play that does this. This is my website. And so um, this is, so we use storytelling as prevention education. As I told you, I love drama. I, that was what I majored in in uh, college. And so 
the story that we tell about my brother is a fictional account, but it includes his true life stories. So it's a fictional story inspired by true events. And we have, here's the book, and this is if you're interested in having an event where you want to screen the film, um, and then here is an opportunity to license the play. And each one of these tells the same story, just in a different format, different length. Um, and so each one is its own special animal. And here's some mug shots, some of my brothers. This was his first mug shot um, when he was 20 something. And then here he is in his 40s, his last mug shot. We have all 18 of them um, in the front of the book. Here at the book, uh, we have uh, two kinds. There's the paperback here that you can get on Amazon. And then this is the Audible book. And I just want to take a second to mention this. The uh, voiceover actor, as I mentioned to you before, I was a voiceover actress. So I still have a couple friends in voiceover. And my friend Quentin Flynn did the, uh, did the voice for A Night in Jail. He read the whole book and he is incredible. Many people will recognize him, let's see. So there he is, here's the actor. And these are some of the famous animation characters that he's voiced over his, what is it, 30 year career, I wow, think. Good. Isn't this amazing? That so he's super, super, super talented. So grateful that he gave his talents to this project. And he gave me permission to say that he is also in recovery. Yeah, and so that was one of the reasons that I, I really wanted um, to have him because he, he gets what this is all about. Here, here's a, a little sample of A Night in Jail. So the premise is an 18-year-old kid is busted for smoking pot and he's put in jail and his cellmate is a homeless drug addict with schizophrenia. All the kid wants to do is not engage with this guy, but he's stuck with him all night long and this, and this homeless guy will not leave him alone. He keeps talking to him and badgering him and ugh, and he just, he can't stand it. And so here we are. 10.01 PM. He sits on the bench. He eyes me over his long nose hairs that jut out like whiskers. He inspects me the way my mom does when she thinks I might be high. You really don't know who I am. No, no, I don't. I put up my hand and I don't want to know. <laughs> His stupid grin gives me an unwelcome peek at his swollen gums. They're red and black and losing their grip on his five remaining teeth. Yeah, it's exactly like what you see at the dentist where they try to scare you into flossing. He cackled. You're funny. <laughs> I needed a laugh. No, 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 no. No introductions. I wish he'd let me pretend to sleep so I don't have to talk to him. But no, he keeps gumming. I didn't mean to scare you. It's just you. This, I never imagined they would go this far. But here we are, in jail. This is my 18th time here. My jaw drops. He laughs. <laughs> Your face. Don't be frightened, grasshopper. I'm not violent. Okay, but I really like it because it gives a sense of what a night in jail is the tone of the story, um, all the, uh, he really captures what the story is. I'm surprised nobody else has done it, but I think that most of the country doesn't know about it. And so um, I'm just the first one to do it. And so we wrote a nice uh, short book and it's great for 
teens, especially it's a young adult novella. They can read it in a day or a couple days. And I've gotten some really positive feedback from teens, especially the ones in recovery. They, you know, I've the, the feedback from the adults who told them to read it was, our kids hate reading, <laughs> but they love your book. And they really want to talk about it. And this is what I really, we both really want is for people to see because my brother's life really um, illustrates pretty much everything that can go wrong if a kid uses marijuana. It illustrates it. Um, the one thing that it doesn't is it, uh, it doesn't show the, the increased risk to suicide. Um, that's the one thing that it doesn't illustrate. Um, but so that's what we did. So we wrote the book and then we adapted it into a play and then we've adapted it into a short film. And um, so that's the, the seed of the, the whole story. You've made so many good points. And I, I love like when I never even thought about like the paranoia as a form of psychosis. My story and a lot of people know, and I told you we were chatting earlier, but um, you know, I was stoned for like 15 years. I was full of fear and security saying I didn't know how to do life. You know, yeah. I never, I didn't get that gene <laughs> or <laughs> tell me how to cope with life really easy. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I talk about this frequently, you know, when you said that you smoked and you got that effect, that psychosis, yeah. that psychotic effect that the cannabis induced psychosis, I used to get that. But here's the difference between an addict, like somebody like me who has that like predisposition to misuse drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And you're probably your brother too. It's like, when you get that way, a red light goes on. Same thing, like if you're having a glass of wine or a drink or something like that, the red light goes on, you're like, whoa, I don't like yeah. the feel. For me, <laughs> when I get that way, I'm like, yeah, like I want more, you know? <laughs> and that's like, the, that's like part of the sickness. But that's yeah. the difference. And I think a lot of people experience that and don't even know that they're experiencing a damaging effect like yeah. cannabis-induced psychosis. They're just like, wow, man, cool, or whatever. Or, wow, that was kind of weird. And then blame it on the weed, like that, that bag of weed instead of yeah. marijuana as a whole. It was laced with something. Yeah, yeah well, it was laced with THC. And that's what people don't know. <laughs> that right. THC. Well, that's and the other part is this. It's like it's glamorized. Like there's yeah. Bob Marley, which is cool. And then all the cool music people and then the actresses and actresses in Hollywood that are, you know, talking it up and the musicians and everybody, you know, is stoned and talking about how cool it is. So these kids are like, well, I want to be like them. Yeah. So I know you, I know you've dealt, we kind of talked about that earlier too. Like who is Justin Bieber or somebody mm -hmm they're out smoking weed all the time. And then they're like, wow, this is cool. And they're passing it on to millions of kids. That so Justin Bieber actually is sober. And so he talks about how he used marijuana was um, the first drug that he used when he was like 12, I think, and it, or 14, I can't remember which one, but it really, really profoundly affected him. And, um, and, so, and so when Justin Bieber was 12, I'm not, I'm not sure how, he's like 30 now. Maybe something like that. You guys have to, please forgive me. We've got construction going on outside. I've asked them to be quiet and there's nothing I can do. So um, anyway, uh, he's, he, so he's spoken out about the damaging effects of marijuana on his brain. Um, oh, so 
he's aware of that. Um, but there are others who continue to talk about it and, and make it sound like it's really cool. And especially, you know, the rap artists, there's my son would play music for me and they're singing about, you know, having a Zanny and an Epi. And I'm like, that can kill you, a Zanny and an Epi. And, and, he'd, and he'd be like, but the song's so cool. I said, yeah, but it's normalizing the drug use, like you said. So, um, yeah, and then the actors and actresses who say they use it. I mean, we, and the, and the athletes, right? We talked about this and they're, they're like, come on, it's just pot. But here's the thing that they don't know. Um, back in the day when I smoked it, and so you quit what year? Uh, it was 17 years ago, 2003. So that's about the time that the potency started creeping up really significantly. So when I had my psychotic experience on it, it was like three to 5% THC. Same with my brother. So all of the studies, the vast majority of the studies have been done on THC, which is 10% or less, two to 8% is like the average. Okay. So, Around 2000, it started going way up. And so in Colorado, it's about, it's just under 20% is what you can get the leaf. It, the, you know, like if you get a joint on average at, your, at a dispensary, it'll be like what, less than 20%. In California, it's 23%. So the, what is out now is like five times stronger in the leaf. Now, when we're talking about the concentrates, which are the edibles, what kids vape, what people are dabbing, half the people, when I say vaping and dabbing, they don't know the difference. And most people, when you're talking about just voters across the country, they all think when we say marijuana legalization, they all think we're talking about the pot that I was smoking, my brother was smoking, which was less than 10%. But you, I don't think you can get less than 10% now in our country unless you had an original plant yourself and you were, you've been growing it yourself all these years in your basement or in your backyard. I, I don't know that they have these available anymore. And so, but the, the high concentrates are from about 60 to 99% THC. Now that's a psychoactive ingredient. And there are, I'm, we don't even know what the long-term effects are going to be on the brain. This, it's really, we are literally doing an experiment on the brains of our, the, our country, but most especially our youth. And what the um, early research shows is that if the, the, the stuff that you and I were smoking increases the risk for psychosis by two to three times, the higher potency increases the risk by four to five times. I'm learning so much just by listening to you. I didn't know all this stuff either. Right? Nobody knows it. They're not talking about it. And especially the industry is not talking about it because they don't want anyone to know. Well, it's and big money, right? They need to make money. Yeah. And, and the other piece, like, I wanted to bring up too, and well, I mean, it's all connected for sure. Because we're talking about, like, these, like, huge medical consequences like psychosis like a you know a disease like really bad things that happening but also then there's the emotional stuff mm -hmm. and like just not being able to function as an adult and mm -hmm. you know have a job and be responsible and have relationships and i'll tell you and i've already told you it's affected my life and i haven't smoked weed in 17 years 
And I jokingly say sometimes, you know what, if I can be like, sometimes I, it would be nice to like smoke a joint and be like, you know what, and, and Halloween's coming up, let's smoke a joint. And then not again till like the Super Bowl. I probably would. And I say that sometimes. But yeah. my thing is like, I'm going to go to the store because now you can go to the store and buy weed. And I'm going to buy an ounce because I have that addictive personality. And then I'm going to stop doing life. And I have a really great life. And I don't want to mess my life up. And I know I will. So what I was just saying, like, we're not, like, there's the, the really bad physical consequences like you're talking about. But then there's also the emotional things. Like, it, it takes me out of living. And I, mm -hmm. I don't learn how to feel. Like, I'll go back to my story. When I started smoking, when I was, like, 15, I think, too. Yeah. And I never grew up. Like I, I was this paranoid, scared, fearful, angry little boy that never learned how to feel. And then I started smoking weed and drinking and I didn't have to feel anymore. Right. Yeah. So I, it kind of took the pain away, at least for those four to six hours. And yeah. I didn't have to feel like that anymore. And then I go to bed and I wake up the next day and then I'm full of paranoia and fear and anger and frustration and resentment again. And then I never learned how to feel because now I'm like, well, I don't want to feel that way. So I'm just going to get stoned. And I keep doing that for 15 years. And this is why most people fail in sobriety, recovery, quitting their whatever addiction is because they, you do it for so long. you never learn how to live. You never learn how to feel and process feelings and process things like sadness and heartache and anger and resentment. And you just keep going back to those distractions. And now, you know, I just, I'm getting out of a, a long, really long relationship. It's been pretty painful. And, you know, she used to tell me, and it's kind of crazy. I'm revealing all this on the show, but she used to tell me sometimes, you know, I was acting like a stoner and I, it would upset me because I'm like, I don't smoke. You know, it's been years since I smoked, but it's affected me long-term. It, it's affected my brain activity and my ability to handle things like responsibility and relationships and getting through situations like a mature adult. The negative effects of marijuana can, um, mental health effects, can happen to anybody at any age. It's just worse when a brain is developing. So that's when a woman is pregnant and she has a baby in utero and the baby is growing. Pregnant women should stay way, way, way away from pot because it affects the, uh, your baby's ability to have a healthy brain grow. We've got one, one chance to grow our brains. One. We got to get through that before any substances are introduced. How long does it take for a brain to develop? 26. That's the number. So we got to let the brain fully, fully develop. So you smoking pot at 15, me smoking pot at 12, did, we didn't do ourselves any favors. And I have a very, very distinct memories of um, feeling like I was way smarter in grade school <laughs> because they've shown that even a little bit of marijuana can affect a person's um, uh, the gray matter in their brain, the gray and the white matter, and um, so even small amounts. So I remember having a really hard time remembering things, and it profoundly affects a person's ability to learn something at any age, but just more so when you're a teenager. And um, and so and then the other thing that I wanted to say is that um, when people use marijuana on a regular basis and then they stop using it they find that they're anxious and they say okay well I'm the only thing that makes 
me feel better is my marijuana because look, I have such severe anxiety. When actually what they're feeling oftentimes is withdrawal from the drug. And so what they're not treating is their natural level of anxiety, but their new level of anxiety because they don't have the marijuana. They need a re-up the marijuana in their system because the problem is when we use marijuana, it floods our dopamine system. And then so much so that the brain stops making it on its own. And so we don't have that natural feel good in, in our brain anymore because we've just flooded it out. And so, um, uh, so people will then be feeling anxious because the things that used to naturally make them feel good don't anymore. A hug, a good walk or a run or listening to music without drugs or, you know, a face-to-face -face conversation with a friend that makes you happy. These things don't feel good anymore because your body doesn't make the natural dopamine anymore. And so that's something that I really want to clarify because some people say, if I don't use it, I'm really anxious and it's the only thing that helps me. And so that could be a reason is because um, it's, it's a symptom of addiction and withdrawal. One other thing that, because I want to end this thought on a happy note, is you are living your life in a way that um, rebuilds the, the parts of your brain that, that need to be. And one of those things is with exercise. Um, I just heard this wonderful, wonderful webinar a couple weeks ago about how um, that is one way that an addict can uh, rebuild those circuits in the brain um, that, that stopped working uh, with uh, the use of their drug of choice, and that is voluntary exercise. If it's enforced exercise, it's a stressor, but if they voluntarily do it and get oxygen into their brain, they're building new networks. And so I, I really appreciate that about you and uh, how you live your life every day, you know. Um, and so I really want to give you kudos to that. So. Yeah, that means I'm going to be okay. I have a chance now that I'm almost fifty. I have a chance. <laughs> I think you're on your way, Dennis. I think you're you've been on your way for an awful long time. I really respect you and and what you've done because your story with marijuana is is really amazing. Have you have you talked about it on this podcast? I haven't or, done a specific matter. You're the first marijuana show. It's usually like drugs, alcohol, or um, other inspirational type things, but never specifically marijuana. And I love that we're doing this because yes. I've learned so much. I didn't even think about the um, THC levels back. Like I didn't even think of that. Yeah. That whole scenario, how much stronger it is. It makes total sense because uh, we used to grow it too before it was popular and and like you can go to the store. We used to do this stuff. It was illegal, and I could have gotten in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Yeah. I, I should have gotten a lot of trouble but um back then and i think it was starting to creep up and we and you know now that you bring it up this was 20 25 years ago now that you bring it up i i kind of remember talking about like the concentration like the level of thc and how it was creeping up but i didn't even think about the 20 percent now in the natural plant and then the concentrations being up in the 90s like that's crazy stuff and it is you're messing with your life as a teenager when you're yeah. there's no what? way to focus on school or reading like when you were saying all those things i was thinking like i totally have a, a problem with comprehension and retention you know mm -hmm. like i'll read and i like to read now and it took a long time up mm -hmm. just you know five or so years ago before mm -hmm. i really started reading more again but sometimes you know i'm out i'm gone i'll read 10 pages and not remember the last nine 
So, you know, I think some people get that anyway, but I think that some of mine was definitely drug and alcohol. And abuse for sure. Wow. But it grows. Your brain is growing. It's the brain heals. It just like the rest of our body, it can heal. So you're absolutely, you know, doing all the, the right things for it. Yes. These high potency want products are there. I have, I think they're going to be illegal um, in the, in the coming years because there's such an outcry about it. And one of the things is um, I mentioned suicide um, and in the toxicology reports out of Colorado show that the number one substance found in 10 to 19 year olds who killed themselves is marijuana. Wow. By far. And so these really high concentrates are um, like they say, they blow out the dopamine, the natural dopamine. And so it's easy for a kid to become depressed. It's also easy for a kid to be to become paranoid and think that uh, people don't like them when there's no indication for their, you know that they're out to get him or her, and um, and then they maybe they. Um, so my friend uh, Laura Stack, this just happened to her son last November. And he was dabbing the high concentrates. Do you know what dab? Is. No, I really don't. I've been, <laughs> I would have known all of these cool little toys years ago, but I don't know any of it. Yeah, it's a good thing we don't. I can do, um, I can come back and we can do a separate, um, I can do a separate PowerPoint and to go through all of these. So I'll just tell the story and then, but oh, so if that's that. not We should totally do that. Yeah. yeah, can we do it? Yeah, totally. Um, We're going to. Okay, so, um, so he was using one of the highest concentrations you can possibly get. And he went to college and um, in Colorado, and one of his, and his roommate went to college, moved to Colorado to go to college so he could smoke pot. A and lot so of people they, do, yeah. Right? They're called, what are they called, marijuana migrants? Yeah, well, when that became legal, because we were the first ones to be legal, so our population uh -huh. like doubled in, a, in just a couple of years. And a lot okay. of them are transients, and now that it's become legal around the country, it slowed that down. But mm -hmm. it's still beautiful here, so people are still moving, but not at the same rate now that it's becoming legal around the country because of the money. That's what it comes down to is money, right? That's why it's going to become legal all over the country. Yes, and this is what we will talk about in, my, uh, in the PowerPoint presentation. Um, awesome. But yes, they think there's money, but what they're not noticing is how much it costs what the taxpayers are paying for the industry that's making money, the homeless people, because you've got a lot of, like you said, a lot of them are homeless. And then we're paying for the hospital visits for people who are suffering from psychosis. And then there's also this other illness that few know about, um, but is becoming more and more common. It's called cannabinoid um, hyperemesis syndrome. That's where they can't stop throwing up. And so these people, are throwing up repeatedly from the high concentration THC and they don't know what's wrong with them. They think they've got coronavirus. They think they've got stomach cancer. They think they've got whatever. They go to the emergency room and they run like $70,000 worth of tests on a person to find out what's wrong. They can't find it. And then they, somebody figures out, Oh, do you smoke? Do you use weed? And they're like, yes. And they say, well, this could be this syndrome. And then some people refuse to, believe it because they say you know it's it's the herb it would never do this it's the green goddess or whatever they call it that would never do this it's supposed to prevent nausea 
But at some point, the, the switch flips on that nausea thing and they have too much and they have this reaction. And even when they stop, they're still throwing up because it's like a, a withdrawal symptom. It's like um, going off opioids all of a sudden, you become really sick. And so you have to keep a certain, uh, I don't even know the details on it, but it's a horrible, horrible syndrome. And there's been some articles written about it. There's a private Facebook page, support group page. So if anybody out there is suffering from GI problems, stomach like stomach pains or vomiting after marijuana, you know, that's, that's a place where you can look and um, get some support. Uh, private, uh, uh, recovery from cannabis hyperemesis syndrome on, on Facebook, and you can ask to join their page. Um, so, so, that, so we're paying for that because a lot of these people that go to the emergency room don't have insurance to pay for $70,000 worth of tests. We're paying for the people who are going psychotic. We're paying for the people who are living on the streets who became addicted. Um, and also marijuana increases the risk to go on to heroin and cocaine. Now, most people that use marijuana do not go on to other drugs. However, 95% of those who use heroin and cocaine started with marijuana. So there we have that one can lead to the other. So we're paying for the opioid problem, we're paying for people who like cocaine and crack. I mean, so, and then the marijuana impaired driving fatalities. Um, we've got accidents all over the place. People think, oh, it's legal, it's my medicine, I can use it while I'm driving. No, it's against the law. And so people are getting these horrible accidents. We're paying for it. And not only that, underage use is up. So we're paying for for that too, you know, and the kids are going to jail more often now, especially black and brown kids. So the irony is they say, oh, this is about social justice. And actually the opposite has happened since legalization because the dispensaries are in poor neighborhoods where there are a lot of black and brown people. And this makes it just physically easier for a young person to get their hands on it. And along those lines, because I've spoken with a bunch of um, other advocates recently, ever since you and I got in touch, and some of them that you've introduced me to, and there's always there's a, these hurdles, and you've taught me about this over the last month or so, but there's these hurdles to overcome to get these messages out there about how damaging it can be. So can you talk about some of these? Because, you know, I think we did kind of talk about now, there's like the, the celebrities, musicians, like, like supporting it, and, and then the money part. But like what other hurdles, why is it so hard to get this type of awareness out there? Um, one, people don't want to believe it. Medicine and it's healthy. And I do believe there are medicinal properties to it. And there are two FDA approved um, medicines right now. And one is pure people CBD want to believe and it's one is THC. And they, you know, and you can get them from a pharmacist who will give you a warning label and tell you all of the drug interactions, all the things you should look out for, and will tell you how much you should take. They won't just say, here, go to the store and pick out whatever gummies you want, whatever dabbing things you want, and have as much as you want, and I'll see you in a year. That's, that's an irresponsible way to do medicine and, and not give any indication about what you should be looking out for. Um, like paranoia or panic or depression or suicidal thoughts because they're saying, well, it can't be the marijuana because I'm taking it um, to feel better. So why do I feel suicidal? Why do I, you know, oh, this is, I'm sorry. I, I diverged from my friend Laura's story. So her son 
was in Colorado and his roommate moved there. That's how we got there. We were talking about marijuana migrants. So his roommate moved there and the two of them were dabbing um, on a regular basis. That's super high potency marijuana. And so uh, he had, his name is Johnny. Johnny called his mom and um, he was telling her that he was feeling really anxious and nervous and depressed. And she said, you know, that's normal when you're at college to feel like that. You know, and so that would be kind of a Dennis Berry thing to say, you know, you got to feel your feelings and get through them. You know, it's going to be okay, and which is what she was saying. And he said, is it normal to want to kill yourself every day? Yeah. So she took him out. She put him in the mental hospital, and she had a big, big, big problem. And here's one of the hurdles we're talking about. She had a big, big problem finding him uh, treatment because a lot of treatment centers say, well, it's just pot. We can't put him into treatment because of pot. Can you say it's heroin and she's like it's not heroin it's it's thc and so she couldn't i mean i think she couldn't get insurance to pay for it or she couldn't get and they and more and more places are having a hard time treating these these people a lot of them young adults with this uh, psychosis they don't they don't know how to treat them um, and they don't have beds for for all of them you know and and so it was back and forth and back and forth and he ended up and his he kept a diary and his diary said um you know that the fbi was following him and uh that they were in his following him in his dorm room and the whole thing and he he quit marijuana and he told his mom he said mom i you were right about the pot. I'm, I'm, I'm not using it anymore. And he went for like three weeks, but he had really hurt his dopamine system, like we talked about. And and he he jumped off the building and died before he turned 20. And this is, again, a vibrant kid, beautiful kid from a loving home. So people say people with mental illness use drugs to medicate themselves is that you can pull a trigger for a mental illness from drug use, from marijuana specifically. And it is the drug that is most associated with schizophrenia. Um, of all the drugs that can cause you to um, have a psychotic experience, LSD, cocaine, alcohol, all of them. Eight years later, the number one substance that is tied to schizophrenia is marijuana. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So, so how's your brother doing? Is he doing okay? He's doing great. He's doing great. He's living a life of recovery and he goes to meetings on a regular basis and he um, appears on webinars with me and he's very honest about his drug use and um, and so he's doing everything he can to pay it forward as they say. And um, he was a speech and communications major in college and I was a drama major in college. And so with these projects, we're both using our majors. So <laughs> I'm like, hey, this is, this is great. Let's just take a little lighter note. Like if you could uh, go back to your 15 year old self Talk to that little girl. What would you tell her? So this is something that I think about is that when I was in, when we were in middle school or high school, they told us how, uh, how to get pregnant, how to not get pregnant. That, that I was like, oh, that's not a risk I'm going to take. <laughs> I'm not taking that risk. That is never happening to me. And it didn't until I got married, you know, and I really 
feel like that same kind of blunt education with teenagers to say, are you willing to take this risk? And because this risk can affect you for the rest of your life. Yes, you can heal, but can you ever fully get rid of a mental illness fully? I don't know, you know, and so um, I think some yes, some no, but are you willing to take this risk? Because it is. My brother says um, he would not have done it. And if I knew at the time that my grandma had been in a mental institution for a couple of years, if I knew at the time that she had a frontal lobotomy, that's where they, if I knew that, and I knew there was an association between marijuana and mental illness. They didn't know this back then. This just was all, they, there just were no studies back then. There are now, there are plenty now, and everybody needs to be educated about it. So we need to be very clear with the kids. If there's anxiety or depression in your family, do not use it. And especially don't anybody use the high con concentration products, these high potency products, because if, even if you don't have a predisposition to mental illness, it can cause a psychotic episode in uh, a young a young person especially and then what are the long-term ramifications of that psychotic episode that you just had in your brain um, so I, I really feel like educating them about that and then more kids will say oh no maybe I won't try it and, and that's the important thing because we just want to delay 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 because if you try it when you're 26 your opportunity for addiction goes way way down it, and I did I say this earlier and we try it when we're younger the opportunity for addiction is 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 double so it's an addiction for profit industry they need people to use and so if they can attract a teenager to use then they have more likely will have a customer for the rest of their life because it's imprinted in their brain the addiction well you're clearly passionate about this take it's gonna take you continuing to do this to get that message across. So that way we don't have, you know, 12 and 14 year old kids smoking this stuff and altering their lives forever and not have to go down the road that, That's what I, it's gonna... that I had to go down to rebuild. Like who you see is not who I used to be, but like your brother, they don't have to go down the roads that me and your brother had to go down. That's why I do this, you know? Oh yes. And thank you. Yeah. Thank I mean, you. we don't do this for the money. That's for sure. Like we yeah. do this to help people. You know, I used to struggle with what's my purpose. Our purpose is for giving. When I wake up, it's like, how can I give today? How can I help today? Instead of how can I get, how can I yeah. get thrown? How can I get drunk? How can I avoid life? Now it's like, how can I give everything I got? So until then though, thank you, Heidi, for uh, joining us today. Did you have any closing arguments before I close it up here? I think the work you're doing is incredible. I, I really appreciate your voice. I appreciate your presence. It's so, you're so approachable. The first podcast I watched of you, I was like, oh, I really like this guy. I mean, instantly. So you're, um, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And, awesome. Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Um, all right, cool. Well, we'll get that scheduled. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. And I hope you learned something. I did. I learned a lot. Again, thanks for tuning in. Have a beautiful day today, and we'll talk to you soon. I'm sending you all love and good vibes. So you can't think your way into a new way of acting. You have to act your way into a new way of thinking and being. Hi, I'm Dennis Berry, best-selling author, speaker, and life coach for addiction recovery. So many people are stuck in their addiction, whether it's like drugs or alcohol or food or shopping or sex or money, and they think they can just stop or try to figure it out on their own, but they don't change anything in their lives. Nothing changes if nothing changes. 
In order for change to happen, you have to change something. My clients will be like, oh, I'll stop tomorrow, or if this happens, then I stop, or someday I'll just give it up. And then they just sit around and think, 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 and hope for different or better results, but it doesn't happen. You have to take action. Action most people aren't willing to take. People don't become willing until they're in enough pain, me included. And unfortunately, they wait, and they wait and time passes by. Even if you are willing, you don't even know where to begin. And that's where I come in. In my best-selling book, Funky Wisdom, A Practical Guide to Life, I talk about the how approach. How do I get sober? How do I stop doing drugs? How do I become healthier? How do I have more successful relationships? How do I become more financially successful? And the answer is how. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. I have to honestly admit that there's a problem. I have to honestly admit that things aren't going well and there needs to be changes. And then once I do that, the door opens and I become open to seeing new ways of living. And then I become willing to make those changes. You can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. That's why I'm here to help. And you know, I've been working with clients for over 15 years and helping them get clean and sober and change their lives and achieve inner peace and success. If you or somebody you love is struggling and doesn't know where to begin and how to make those changes to get to where they need to be, give me a call. Not tomorrow or in a week from now when you are hungover and your life is falling apart. Call now. Start making that change today and you'll be glad that you did. I'm sending you love and good vibes. Have a great day today.